Welcome to Sea of Fire Ministries Podcast with Pastor James Myers. And now, we dive into the book of Acts. First, um, before we start, um, we're going to see in this chapter, um, did you ever listen to the one before last week? Okay, that's fine. Uh, we're going to see the the dispersion, which we had briefly mentioned two weeks ago, uh, where through persecution they're scattered, you know, about throughout uh, all Judea and Samaria, um, and then we'll see, you know, an Ethiopian. Come, you know, Philip comes across an Ethiopian, um, but we also have we in uh, we'll see in chapter seventeen of the Book of Acts uh, when Paul is in Thessalonica, he actually. Uh, reunites with uh, Philip, who we're going to look at here. Um, but uh, the people there, um, the crowds said, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. So these men, these these this early church, the church was turning the world upside down. Okay, what I want us to remember, this is real history. We do not proclaim, we do not believe, cleverly devised myths, myths or fables. This is true history. In fact, Christianity largely saved Western civilization. When, when Rome was sacked by the Goths and the uh, barbarians, it was really Christianity that saved uh, civilization from complete degeneracy. Uh, this is true and real history. We'd, and we don't believe in Christ because you know, he, makes, he makes all our problems go away. And he gives us our emotional, you know, the our emotional makeup that we that we need. I mean, those are byproducts. He gives us his peace, you know. But we believe in Christ because he's the Son of God, and that's ultimately it. You know, he's not our he's not our crutch. He's not, you know, um, he again is our strength. But that's a byproduct. Okay. Um, the the faithfulness of our God to not only command. Remember uh, when. And that's why I kept on repeating that Christ's uh, command to tarry in Jerusalem until the Spirit comes, when the Spirit comes, uh, uh, preach, and start in Jerusalem, and then you go out into all Judea, and then you go out into all Samaria, and then to the ends of the world. And we're going to see how that happens is actually persecution. God's will will be done. Augustine says in his confessions, command what thou wilt, and grant what thou commandest. Now, we'll look at that some other time. A man named Pelagius had a big problem with that. There was a Pelagian controversy. We'll talk about that some other time. But what he's saying, though, is God commands. So he's asking, command what you will. You know, let your will be done, but also grant your commandment. I'm not able to, to fulfill your commandment. You're not, you know, yours is the power to not only command, but yours is the power to grant that command. You know, and that's what he's doing through the persecution in, in, in scattering Christians, the church abroad, to seek his people there. And we're going to see that. And we're going to see how the word scattering is kind of neat. Um, but let me, let's go ahead and uh, let's read through it and we'll break them down. Okay, everybody ready? <clears throat> All right. Now Saul was consenting to his death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which, which was at Jerusalem. And they were, were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the Gospels. Apostles. Apostles, I'm sorry. Uh -huh. What did I say? Just like... Gospels. 
Oh, Gospels. No, I'm sorry. Uh, in devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great, made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered uh, went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came, came out of uh, many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. Uh, and there was great joy in that city. But there was a certain man named, uh, called Simon, who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, to whom they all gave heed, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And they heeded him, because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip, and was amazed, seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had, not, he had fallen uh, upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that uh, through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your money perish with you, because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness, and pray God if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Then Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me, that none of the things which you have spoken may come upon me. So when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Uh, this is desert. So he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of e the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the, the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you were reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up with, uh, and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does this, the prophet say this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found as, at Azotus, uh, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. All right. Okay. Verse 1. Um... Right. Is that just verse 1? I think so. Yeah. 
Uh, really, just so you know, this uh, part of now Saul was consenting to his death used to be at the end of chapter 7. I don't know why it changed. It should, be it belongs at the end of chapter 7. We already saw that he was consenting to his death. Um, and then it goes on to say, at that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the, the regions of uh, Judea and Samaria, um, except the apostles. And again, we, we had uh, seen Saul had consented to uh, Stephen's death. Um, in our last study. Um, so that persecution didn't end with Stephen's death. They're still, I mean, they're still craving blood, going after these people to where they're forced out. They're, they're forced. Otherwise, they died. Now, the apostles, so it says, uh, um, except the apostles at the end. You know, they were all scattered throughout uh, the region of Judea and Samaria. So remember, let's go back to Christ's uh, command. And so now we're reaching to the farthest end just before the ends of the earth. And it's through persecution. But that persecution did not stop with the death of Stephen. It's only increasing. It's only getting worse. We see Saul wreaking havoc, making havoc against the church. It's intense. It's intense. However, again, that persecution is God's amazing faithfulness to his people and to his command. And remember, these people are rejoicing to be persecuted, to be worthy to suffer for Christ in proclaiming his, his name throughout the world. Okay, that's our mandate. We are all mandated with that, which we're going to see in uh, the conclusion. Okay, the scattering in the Greek is, is the same word used for, remember we were talking about um, uh, Christ's uh, um, parable about um, the sower of the seed. Remember, uh, some of the seed he throws falls uh, on uh, on hard ground basically apart from the field some on, so some on stones some in thorns and and remember we had talked about though that's how that's how people used to plant they didn't have plows they didn't have john tractor john deere tractors they would just scatter their their seed it's the same word and so if you go back to that day of pentecost remember which with the pentecost was a feast of first fruits remember and so and christ is receiving his first fruits at that time and I just think this is a beautiful depiction. His scattering, through persecution though, he's spreading his seed throughout the world. The scattering, again, we see it in persecution, but it's a beautiful witness of, uh, of Christ's faithfulness to his church to seek out the lost. He is determined. He will not relent. He will not relent until the day of Christ to seek out the lost. And that is our mandate. That is our great privilege. We'll, we'll, we'll look at that. Um, so again, though, the apostles didn't go. Their, their witness, their call, their mandate is in Jerusalem. Now, they'll go out to other areas, but their headquarters, as it were, is still in Jerusalem. Remember, it's, this is a Jewish faith, and they're, they're faithful to remain and hold down in that city in and through Christ. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, also, the Saul who is persecuting the church right now and causing all of these people to go all over the place, this diaspora, he later joins them. Remember, he goes out into all different areas of the world. And he and remember, and we're going to see it, but, uh, well, I know it's in here anyway. Um, in chapter 17, he meets up with Philip. 
This, that's the only other time Philip is mentioned. He, he, we see that he uh, later goes to Caesarea. That's the, that's the end there. And he apparently was there for some time. He got a house there, um, and he's living there. And the apostles uh, come to his house. So, remember, Philip is one of the seven. Stephen was one of the seven. Saul consented to Stephen's death. And now these men are joining in this great persecution, and, and they're joined in under this great persecution and, un, and in the great scattering. I just th I think that's, that's amazing. That's beautiful. This same man who killed, Stephen had to have been close with Philip. I mean, the, the seven had to be close. So, you know, but through the providence of God, he manifests forgiveness, mercy, grace to bring these two together as faithful witnesses throughout the earth. All right. Okay, verse 2. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. Let, let's, let's set the scene here. Okay, as we go from the last week into this, God's word is still uh, holy. And so just because one account doesn't manifest the same emotional <laughs> response, it doesn't make it any less um, holy and, and supreme. But what a beautiful depiction. You know, I mean... Even though they know he's now with Christ, they've, they've lost their brother, you know, and they won't see him again until, until they, they reach heaven. Even a believer, I mean, to lament over a believer being lost, you're still lost, a brother or sister, from this world. You won't see again in this life. So it is a reason to um, um, lament. You know, while we, while we rejoice that a saint... Uh, joins with his maker, we lament that he is from us departed. All right, three. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. So just after Saul consented to Stephen's death, he's carrying on the persecution of the Catholic church. Just so you know, Catholic means universal. Just so when we see Catholic uh, in, in the confessions or any time, particularly before the uh, Reformation, it, it, it means universal. That's why, I mean, I, I, I lament that our separation from the church suggests that this one's, you know, not universal. There's only one church. Um, uh, he, by the way, he dragged off men and women. We, we can't, we can't miss this. Uh, we're, we're going to see women, you know, a lot of, a lot of contemporary female, women in our day think that Christianity is very misogynistic, you know, it sees the woman less than, and we considered even the wife and the husband, ultimately the husband's called to be the bigger servant, the greater servant, but in, in, in the Gospels, women are, 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 are spoken of, Christ treated women completely differently than at that time. The woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well, no man, Jew, or otherwise, no Samaritan man would have had anything to do with her, other than the ones who were married to her and you know wanted to <laughs> shack up with her and stuff. But you know, other than that, nobody would. He would. We see the women uh, going to the tomb, and how you know that's in our Gospels. We see Mary, uh, Christ's mother, and and how that we see Elizabeth. We see all sorts of in Acts. There are all sorts of women. We'll also see uh, men and women are baptized in in Samaria, which we'll talk about because even that. Is, is an increasing of the consideration and the appreciation of women. That starts in Christianity. Christianity is why you, you, have, you have different charities. Christianity is why we have hospitals. 
<laughs> Christianity is why we have schools. Sorry, but that's why. <laughs> but, you know, all sorts of different things. It really came from the church. Um, okay. Uh, let's see. Where was it? Okay. Um, the Greek word for make havoc is that, which is to affix a stigma to, uh, to dishonor, defile, to treat uh, shamefully or with injury, to ravage, devastate, ruin. It is a strong and relentless havoc with which Paul made upon the church. He also imprisoned men and, yeah, as well as women. He dragged off. Yeah, we already talked about that. Yeah. Okay. So, by the way, though, based on that definition, you know, this, this hostility that he's, and this persecution is a cruel one. He's not, you know, he's, 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 make, he's making havoc on the church. This doesn't suggest that, you know, well, according to the law, I'm going to go in and peacefully arrest these people. That's not what it suggests. It suggests hostile, very violent uh, arrest. All right. Um, four, therefore, those who are scattered went, went everywhere preaching the word. So their boldness only increases with their persecution. That is our faith. That is, uh, you, again, you want to know what part of Christianity is? This is Christianity, the faithful witness to Christ, no matter what, in and through anything, particularly the greatest is through persecution. To suffer with Christ is the greatest and ultimate call God, is, God calls us to. And we're all called to it. Okay? And it's a glorious thing, though. Remember, since you remember James uh, in the book of James, where he says, um, uh, re, you know, basically rejoice, uh, be joyful when you uh, suffer trials and tribulations, because these uh, increase your faith, in, increase increases your uh, um, uh, patience and endurance in your faith. So we we all to rejoice. Um, to preach means uh, bring good news. The Greek word is. Euangelio, it's so to, to actually preach it, but it comes from euangelion, um, and can also mean to announce glad tidings. Uh, the word comes from the Greek word angelos, which is obviously where we get the word angel, which is a messenger, envoy, um, one who is sent, a messenger from God. And we're going to look at preaching uh, after a little bit. Five, then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. Samaritans are thought to have descent. Okay, remember when we had talked about the, the kingdoms dividing and, um, and the northern kingdom, when the Assyrians send them back to the promised land, they scattered them throughout the, uh, the land, even outside of Israel, uh, and, and that's who the Samaritans are, and they probably, they, there, was, there was much, remember, that's where there was still syncretism, they were still, believe, they were still uh, believing in other gods. In fact, if you want to read of this account, it's in 2 Kings uh, 17, verses 24 through 41, but basically they, they're blending in the gods, and so they're marrying each other as well. So the Samaritans weren't full-blooded Jews. Uh, they were, they were so that's one, also another reason that there, there was some kind of hostility from the Jew to the Samaritan. And it went, again, that went the other way around too, but it was more from the Jew to the Samaritan. Um, it, by the way, these Samaritans really uh, only um, read the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. They didn't regard any of the other ones. So it was, they were just, yeah, for what it's worth. Um, and regardless, though, Philip takes to our Lord's commission, you know, whatever, whatever hostility, whatever um, enmity there is between the Samaritan and the Jew, Philip doesn't care. 
the Lord has commanded him to go to Samaria, and so he's going to Samaria. <laughs> um, okay. Six. And the multitudes with one accord he, uh, heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles that, uh, which he did. So hearing the things spoken by Philip, and remember, we had spoken uh, and talked about not believing merely because of the miracles. And we'll see, that's definitely not what they're believing. They're believing in what he's saying, preaching Christ. And that's what we're going to see. But, but uh, they can't, just like they couldn't re resist the uh, wisdom of Stephen, it, because they couldn't resist the power of Stephen, same thing, same thing. It's, 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 it's the truth that Christ is procuring in his preacher and manifest, and they are hearing the testimony of Christ, the true, faithful testimony of Christ. Um, and by the way, so this, again, we're at Samaria, right at the edge, just before that commission goes to the ends of the earth, which is where we still find ourselves. Okay. Um, seven. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. So just as we had seen the tw and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to read some of this, but just as we saw Christ uh, sent the twelve out to heal um, you know, uh, diseases and cast out demons. Uh, so Philip is given the same power because he, the apostles laid his hands on him. We're going to see the difference between the gift that's given through the laying on of hands by the apostle and the spirit that every, the general spirit that every Christian, uh, uh receives, uh, him when we believe in him. Okay. We're going to see kind of the difference and, and, and how they are different and why they're probably different. Um, so in Luke 4:33 uh, says now in the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit a spirit of an unclean demon. These unclean demon or these unclean spirits were demons who possessed people. This can conjure up, you know, fantastical illusions <laughs> which are not fit even to address at this point. Suffice it, suffice it to say though that devils indeed do possess men and women. The days when Christ had come, Satan was at maximum assault. And and we see legions occupying the very being of a person which which are in the Gospels. This is true, uh, and you actually this happens actually. There, there, there are there are testimonies. There are true accounts of this still happening now, um, and that violent actual um, uh, possession uh, when they were left with uh, little to no control. These are filthy, dirty, rotten scoundrels seeking bodies in which to abide to wreak the havoc, just as Saul did, of hell. Uh, when Christ commanded them out, they would cry incessantly. A devil's wailing is a sound most unsettling. His, his gnashing, his teeth is a most vile fury. Um, so let us realize, though, that apart from Christ, we are in sin and serve our master, Satan himself. So apart from the power of Christ, we're our, we are possessed by the devil. You know, that may, this is obviously a different manifestation of that. But again, that's why we see this account and we see it how it applies to us and common men who aren't thrown around by demons and, and can't, can't be controlled. They're, they're uncontrollable as well. The man apart from Christ thinks he controls himself. They think they have, they're all at absolutely autonomy. The free will of man. You want to talk about the free will of man? We like to think of our own autonomy. You know, we, I'd love to talk about this whole free will thing that we talk about uh, um, another time. Um, also, again, the lame also are being healed. Let's remember that faithful account of the lame man. Eight, and there was great joy in that city. What a fitting description. You know, following all this persecution, following all this havoc, following Stephen's death. 
you know? And, and Philip, this is the first time these people are hearing the gospel, and they receive it, and there's great joy through the persecution. Through the persecution, Christ, God has scattered his people and has been faithful, and based on that persecution, based on that persecution that uh, uh, manifested in preaching, there's great joy. Even in the persecution, but these, per these people aren't being persecuted, but again, it's his faithful witness that we might have to suffer for the joy of another, and we should be uh, in joy with that as well. Okay, as we briefly recalled in our introduction in the book of Acts, relations between Jews and Samaritans were best stressed. Uh, 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 let's see, yeah, let's skip over that. We kind of already talked about that. I do want to mention here, um, remember the account of the ten lepers? Uh, where basically ten lepers come to come before Christ and, and ask him to heal them. And he says, you know, go show yourselves to the priest. Once you were cleansed by the, uh, from your leprosy, you would have to go get, get checked by the priest, basically, so that you can come back into uh, society. Because you know, there were um, uh, other areas for, for, uh, for lepers, the leper colonies. Um, and so you had to show yourself to the priest. He didn't heal them yet. He said, just go show yourself to the priest. And they all went. They all started heading out, and, you know, they're healed on the way to show themselves to the priest. So one comes back and bows before Christ and praises him. And Christ says, um, were there not ten cleansed? I mean, that, that hits my heart so hard. Were there not ten? Where, where are the other nine? But where are the nine? Uh, were there not uh, any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? That man was a Samaritan. That man was a Samaritan who came, the only one who came back to worship Christ was a Samaritan. Christ knows the heart of man and he calls uh, all who are his and, uh, to himself and gives them joy and abundance. 9 and 10. But there was a certain man named, uh, called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city and aston astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great to whom uh, they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, uh, this man is the great power of God. Okay. Now this... Simon is probably Simon Magus, uh, an early Christian apologist, uh, particularly Stephen, Mar I mean, uh, Justin Martyr, uh, talks about him, about all the Samaritans believing in him as the greatest God. And, and they, were, they were really convinced because of these sorceries that, that he's doing, which we'll, we'll, we'll consider. I mean, we're not going to consider the sorceries, but we're going to consider the difference. Uh, anyway. So what he probably start, what he started, uh, Simon Magus, was what's called the Gnostic heresy. Remember when we looked at agnosticism, and so the Greek word for uh, gnosis is knowledge? So what he was saying is basically salvation doesn't come in and through Christ. It's a special knowledge. It's this esoteric, mysteri mysterious knowledge that, that only few men are, are, are actually uh, have the capacity to grasp. Um, but And we will consider that another time, God willing. But th that's who this man is. Um, and, that's, and, and that suggests how this uh, ends, and we'll see that. Okay, 11 and 12. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. When they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. So, where they heeded Simon because of his sorceries, all of his little magic tricks and all of that, they believed Philip. Not just, not because they're both doing these, you know, wondrous things, right? But Philip is preaching Christ. They're believing in Philip because of the truth. Remember that? 
Okay. Now we're gonna we're gonna okay we're gonna talk about baptism in a little bit, a little bit. You know, this just gives me the occasion to talk a little bit about baptism. So we're going to. Um, so again, Luke specifies that bo both men and women were baptized, and that's really a point worth making. Uh, let's also remember that Saul was dragging men and women off and committing them to prison. Now Christ is calling men and women to commit this, themselves to him. So men would get baptized in various areas, um, like the Jordan, which we saw with uh, John the Baptist. Um, and then they would ba baptize their household privately. Um, and especially even when women were baptized, they would have to get unclothed. So they would always be separated from the men. So, so now that, you know, we see that they're together, I mean, obviously they're all clothed, but I mean, I just, I just think that's beautiful. We, we've, we've taken the, what, what used to be isolated for the household and taken it into its universal household of the church. I just think that's wonderful. Uh, this is, that didn't start until, again, Christianity. Um, so the, uh, the Jewish proselyte baptism was a ritual bath called a mikveh. Uh, and uh, which share the same roots, so the word uh, for hope, which is tikva, and uh, for line and alignment, which is kav. And the concept of hoping or waiting on God, uh, anyway, mikvah means something waiting for in confidence. It's a collection, of, uh, also a collection either of water or a caravan or a drove. Um, I want to talk about, in 2 Kings chapter 5, there's an account of, uh, of, 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 of this man named Naaman. He's a commander of the army of the king of Syria, and, and we'll talk a little bit about Gehazi, who is uh, Elisha's servant. I want to try to tell this story as quickly as I can. Okay, Naaman is a leper. He's a great commander of the Assyrian army. Okay, and so uh, they, they, uh, they, they imprison this little girl okay, from Israel. And, and, and everybody loves this Naaman, though. He's very kind to everybody. He treated her well. And so she told him, you know, if, if you would actually just go and see the prophet in Samaria, Samaria was the capital of Israel, and that's where Elisha was. You know, he would definitely heal you of your disease. And so he, he goes and, and asks the king, you know, hey, would you mind sending me over there? And, and he does. He gives, him an, he gives him a letter to send, and, and he reaches the king, king of Israel. King of Israel thinks that, you know, the king of Assyria is starting to try to start a war. He's like, well, what is this? He knows I don't have the power to heal this man. What's, what is this? And Elisha hears, hears about it. Anyway, he tells him, you know, send him over. And he does. And as he's outside of the house, Elisha, so Elisha doesn't even come out to see him. He just, he sends Gehazi out, his servant, to tell him, go wash yourself into the uh, Jordan seven times, and you'll be cleansed. And Naaman's kind of upset. He's like, this is completely disrespectful. You don't even come out here. I, I don't even see him. You just, you know, we have rivers in Damascus way greater than the Jordan River. Why wouldn't I go, you know, wash those, there seven times? You know, what is this? And he's, he's like, you know, forget this. This is, this is ridiculous. And, and anyway, his servants implore him, like, you know, if he would have asked you to do some great thing, he probably would have done it. So, you know, what's the harm? Go, go give it a shot. And he does. And he goes and he washes in seven times. And his, his lepers, he, he, his skin is restored like a child. You know, here's a man and his skin is completely restored. Not to just where a man is, but to where a child is. And he rejoices. He, and so he returns to Elisha. And and he and and he's basically like you know now I know there is no other god but the god of Israel you know please take take here here's here's gold here's here are some garments here are a ton of gifts and Elisha's like no 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 this was of God 
No, you know, you don't owe me any money. I didn't do anything. You know, no, go your way and, and, and be healed. And, 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 and Naaman's very grateful. And he's like, you know, well, if you don't mind, do you mind if I just take these buckets of ground? Because now I will not worship on any other earth than the, the God of Israel. So he's taking earth from Israel to worship in Assyria. And may the God, may your God please forgive me when I have to go into my te the temple, you know, because of his role, he has to. And he has to bow the knee and all that kind of thing. And Elisha says, go, go your way in peace. Gehazi is a little, is a little upset. He's a little, he's a little money hungry. And so apart from Elisha's knowledge, he goes and chases uh, after Naaman. And when he reaches, reaches Naaman, he's like, hey, you know, two prophets just uh, uh, came and they're, they're badly in need of everything, of all this stuff. You know, they're, they're broke. They don't have any clothes. They got assaulted on the way. You know, and so he's like, oh, yeah, no, here, here's the gold, here, here are the garments, you know, do you need anything else? He's like, no, I think this, I think I'm set. And he starts heading back, and uh, Elisha knows about it. He's a prophet. Silly, foolish thing to do. But anyway, he knows about it. He, you know, he's a prophet. And he's like, you know, Gehazi, Gehazi, where are, where were you? And he's like, I, I wasn't anywhere. What are you talking about? Been, been around this whole time. And Elisha says, you're going to, basically, that leprosy is going to, transfer to you and he becomes a terrible leper and he's no longer Elisha's uh, servant. So by the providence of God, he transferred the suffering and the leprosy and the sin in Naaman to the true uh, sinner, to the true devil who was serving Elisha. Elisha was Elijah's protege, which again, God willing, we'll consider another time. Okay. Um, so baptism has been seen in a variety of ways. So that was a baptism, by the way. He, he Im immersed into the Jordan seven times. Okay, that's an immersion. Uh, so it's been seen in a variety of different ways. Most, most theologians say that baptism is basically when you go into the water, it's uh, signifying your death with Christ. When you raise out of the water, it's signifying your resurrection with Christ. And I think that's fine. I, I think that's fine. I think that's an element. But ultimately, again, with the word, it's really that hope. So it's really, if you want to think about it a certain way, it's immersing in hope and then rising in faith. Okay? So you receive the gospel. You, you accept the gospel. This hope isn't some vain, wishful thinking. Like, oh man, I really hope this whole Jesus thing is going to work out. You know, it's a true confidence. You're just waiting for it. Like, you know it's coming, but, but you're waiting for it. And, and you're longing for it in faith. Okay, uh, 13. Then Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Okay, we'll see that Simon's faith is spurious. I mean, it's not, it's not true. And seems really only on account of, all of the miracles. That's why, you know, it's not, it's important that we don't believe just because of the miracles. And, and it's, it becomes obvious. Uh, and I already said what Justin Martyr said about him. Um, so Simon knows that all of his sorceries, all of his little magics are just tricks. He knows they're not genuine because he's doing them. But he also knows, knows that Phillips aren't tricks. They're not tricks. They're not deceptive, you know, ways to get through. And they're all absolutely attesting to the faithfulness of the same gospel and the same Christ he's preaching. Um, that he continue with Philip suggests that Simon's hypocrisy wasn't evident to Philip. And we're going to see how 
that might have manifested later on when he meets with the eunuch. Uh, so true, true faith is only of God. So a mere profession of faith doesn't guarantee a possession. We can't, we can't just see a man profess that he believes in Christ and thereby just assume that he's actually possessed by Christ. Okay? Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't really want to talk about that. Okay, 14. Now, when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. So, Luke refers, again, the Samaritans as receiving the word of God. They don't say, it doesn't, he doesn't say they received the power of, and, the, and the wonders and miracles of Philip. Uh, but not his Holy Spirit, which we'll see in the following verses. So the apostles, still in Jerusalem, sent uh, Peter and John to pray and lay their hands on the people to rectify the matter, basically. Um, and we'll, we're going to see the distinction between uh, the spirit that they had not received and the, the spirit that all receive in faith. So, 15 and 16. Who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for as yet he had uh, fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. I think, in the providence of God, Luke is uh, showing us something of the necessity of church unity. Okay, so what, 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 what wasn't accomplished, accomplished through Philip's preaching is now being supplied by another church, by the apostles. Okay, and, and Philip isn't playing. I'm sure Philip is just welcoming this. There are many isolated pulpits. There are many preachers who isolate themselves. And so their congregation is safe within their, you know, their, their preaching and, and, and isn't infiltrated from the outside, but also doesn't minister to the outside. That, that same isolation neither ministers to other ministers or accepts ministers for their own. And that, that's, that's a dead church. That's a dark church. The, the minister, the, the true preacher, knows that the church is universal and thereby must rely on other ministries. It's, we are one. And we can't, we, we, none of us are isolated. No Christian is isolated. Especially no, day, no preacher is isolated. All right. Um, let's see. However the apostles... Are, yeah. However... <laughs> However, the apostles heard of the news of the Samaritans um, receiving Christ. Uh, they came to contribute to the building project, as it were. Uh, so let us okay, consider that Luke said that they'd only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, intimating that they had not yet been baptized in the Holy Spirit. This is a distinction between the baptism of the current believer and that of the early church. The power given to the apostles to do signs and wonders were for, for an effective period of time. This practice was not to continue with the vain imaginations of the papacy that they have power to give the spirit to anyone. This this is gone, and Protestants do this too. And to be fair, I just want to go back um, a little bit to you know about the persecution from the Catholic Church in, in particular when uh, we saw Luther at the Diet of Worms. Protestants did terrible things too. I mean, we we've got look at the history of Ireland since the Reformation. It, it's terrible. Catholics and Protestants are always fighting terrible wars. Um, so I just wanted to be fair there for a second. Um, uh, so once the apostles laid the foundation in word and power, the church was to build thereupon in the power of the word. Okay, so these signs and wonders were for a time, really the time of the apostles. Okay, so you know this this laying on of hands and giving this Holy Spirit, this this Holy Spirit that they're laying their hands on to receive is that power. So these people will have power, um, and we'll see the eunuch doesn't receive that as well. Okay, and, that, and, and apparently that's fine. 
Okay, 17. Then they laid their uh, hands on them and, and they received the Holy Spirit. This is a beautiful account of God's faithfulness and through his people, uh, to and through his people. So God laid his hands, so to speak, on the apostles that whenever they lay their hands, God is, you know, given through the laying on of their, their hands. They will receive God. Um, also, we'll see that uh, Ananias lays his hands on Saul uh, to heal him of the blind, but not to receive the Holy Spirit like this. Uh, again, that, though, that, that, that was a healing that was typical for the early church who was granted this power. Um, and, oh, and additionally, we can't forget this, this followed them praying for them to receive the Holy Spirit. So it didn't, you know, the apostle didn't come and just say, all right, bam. And then they just received it and said, God, please, God, grant that these men receive your Holy Spirit. I mean, it does, we don't have the account of what they said, but we do have the account that they prayed before they laid their hands on them. Okay. It wasn't the apostles exclusively anyway. Um, yeah, okay. Okay. 18 and 19, and when Simon saw that uh, through the laying on of hand, the apostles' hands, uh, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Simon thought this is a worthy investment. You know, he wants to keep his enterprise going. And remember, he, he knows all of his sorceries, all of his magics are just tricks. And he's like, ooh, if I can get this, I mean, I, there will be no end to my power. If I, can, if I just get to choose who receives the Spirit and everybody's just in awe, I'm just going to be a cr crazy rich man and very popular. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so again, this points, though, to the reason he believed was really to, for power. He, he saw the power, and all his greed, all of his interest is in power. Whether it's, you know, uh, uh, miraculous power, but ultimately it's, you know, uh, it's power to rule, that kind of a thing. Okay, 20. But Peter said to him, your money perished with you because you thought that the, that the gift of God could be purchased with money. So first, uh, uh, Timothy 6.10, Paul says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of, uh, of evil, for which, uh, for, for which uh, some have strayed from the faith, from the faith in their greediness and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. Now, Paul says the love of money is uh, the root of all kinds of evil. It doesn't say money is. Uh, we'll see the, Ethi the eunuch, the Ethiopian, was a very rich man. There are many rich men who, who can come to faith. When, when Christ <coughs> implores, you know, the, those, who are, those who are poor, you know, uh, will receive the kingdom of God. He says those who are poor in spirit. Rich men can still be poor in the spirit. Okay, and, and so it's not exclusive to just people, people who are in poverty. It, it, it's exclusive to people who realize their, their poverty in their soul. It's exclusively to them. Uh, but, you know, whether you have um, riches of the world uh, doesn't hinder, <laughs> hinder his uh, salvation. Uh, 21, you have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. So Peter told some, that though he wanted the power... Uh, to give the Spirit, he had neither part nor portion to give. <laughs> you don't have any of this. You, you, don't, you don't believe in Christ. You have nothing to do with Christ. Your heart is obviously showing that. You know, if you did believe in Christ, if you did love Christ, you, would, you, would, you're, you wouldn't even think about this. I mean, this is, you know, you have no part in this. Um, so whatever profit he sought became a debt he could not pay. Um, 
and, and, and some other stuff. All right, 22. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness, and pray God if perhaps uh, the thought of your heart may be forgiven uh, you. So, as Peter is wont to do, he implores uh, Simon to repent. That's constantly what uh, Peter's preaching. Remember, on, on the day of Pentecost, that's what he's telling them. Brethren, what do we do when the guys hear his uh, sermon? And he says, repent. And be baptized, you know, be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus uh, for the remission of your sins. Uh, and, and he goes on, but it's repent. Um, uh, 23. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Okay, I'm going to read this because I have some uh, verses and some translations. Uh, so what was imperceivable before is now quite the contrary, as we discussed before. Uh, this bitterness is picria. Uh, and is, co- is a common theme in the Old Testament as well as the New. Deuteronomy 29, 18 says, uh, So that there may not be among you man or woman or family or tribe whose heart turns away uh, f- today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of these nations. And, and that there may not be among you a root bearing bitterness or wormwood. Lamentations 3, 15 says, He, God, has filled me with bitterness. He has, uh, he has made me drink wormwood. This bitterness is an extreme wickedness. It, it, that's, what, that's what is talked about. Uh, it is a revolt of the of the soul toward God, a vexation which is like which is like digesting what you think is pure, but it's really vomit. Uh, it's the gall, the bile. Uh, wormwood is a woody shrub uh, with a bitter, uh, aromatic taste. Yeah, we did change. Okay, uh, it may be what uh, was mingled with the sour wine the garrison of soldiers uh, offered to Christ. Um, it was it was uh, it was sour wine mixed uh, uh, with with bitterness. Uh, Wormwood worm worm is another translation of the Greek word kole, which can uh, be bile or gall, um, but is the poison we have here in this verse. Um, so the bile can mean either the acid which aids digestion uh, to, uh, or to an anger uh, or irritability. Peter then said that Simon was bound by iniquity, so he is still shackled in sin. Uh, the freedom from Christ is only liberated in righteousness. That's what I'm telling you. The, the, the liberty, the free will is only free, the, the freedom, true liberty, is found in God and in His righteousness. Um, 24. Then Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me that none of the things which you have spoken may come upon me. Rather than repenting himself, he, now he's relying too much on the Gospels. Now he, he doesn't repent. He doesn't pray for himself. He doesn't ask God for forgiveness. He says, well, you're having the power to do all this, man. I mean, I know he listens to you. He's, he's not going to listen to me kind of a thing, and I'm not even going to try. You know, you do it or else it's not going to be done. And it's not done. And he, again, he goes on to begin the Gnostic heresy, which we'll consider another time. God will. Um, 25. So when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. So the account of Simon is left unresolved, as, as everybody at that time knew who Simon was. And even now the church does because of the early apologists who spoke about him. Um, regardless, we see that as, as Simon, Peter and John are returning to Jerusalem, they're pe- preaching throughout all these cities. You know, they're not content with this great ha- uh, event happening in Samaria. They are going to continue preaching everywhere they can. Every, every available option, every opportunity that is open, they preach. Okay, 26. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to, to Gaza. This is desert. Obviously, this is not the same as the angel of the Lord we considered in our last study, okay? This is an angel of the Lord. Uh, angels are God's messengers sent to men. Uh, 
this messenger was sent to send another. You know, God sends his angel uh, to send Philip. Okay. Um, uh, Gaza was in the territory of uh, Israel's ancient enemy, the Philistines. It was a major city mentioned in the Old Testament and was where Samson was taken prisoner. Um, the enemies of God are not nations or cities. They are men and women of the world. So the Gaza Strip, I'm sure, have y'all heard of the Gaza no, I know you have. The Gaza Strip has been, since 1967, after the Six-Day War, uh, there's been continual war uh, between uh, uh, Palestine and, uh, and, and Israel. Uh, so this is, this, is, this has historically been a place of much, much violence, much war, um, and continues to be. Uh, but recognize, though, God is sending these people out to former, form, to places of former enemies, okay? And, and, and I just think that, you know, illustrates his faithfulness. 27, so he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship. So a eunuch would either be emasculated, so do you all know what that means? Okay. So they would, uh, they would get rid of, remove, right. They would remove <clears throat> everything, basically, the male right. Genitalia. Right. Um, for, to guarantee that no temptations, no, no, no scandals or anything can happen. You know, you, you remove the possibility of, <laughs> of that. Uh, anyway, uh, but, but they would be, They'd either be officials of the royal court or a high official in government. Um, and also, this emasculation meant that... So he's going... He went to Jerusalem to worship, and now he's returning. That's what it says. But he's, he went to Jerusalem to worship. However, it, it, a, 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 an emasculated man wasn't allowed in the temple. You know, um, but he still went. He's still, he's still following the Jewish law. He's, he's a complete proselyte. He's faithful to God. And while he's returning, he's reading his scripture. Okay. Um, oh, by the way, this Candace was really a title meaning queen mother or regent. Uh, and in the history of uh, the Ethiopians, there, there came a king around 200 BC who changed the customs, who really, that's really where queens began to reign. Uh, typically as co-heirs, you know, uh, but sometimes on occasion it would actually just be uh, a matriarchal uh, kingdom. And, and that was rare back then. But even then it, it was actually happening. And so... So this Candace, though, isn't the, her actual name. It, it just means queen. Um, okay, 28. Uh, was returning, and sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Okay, this Ethiopian eunuch was obviously a Jew and was fittingly reading Isaiah's, and in the providence of God, he is considering a note, noteworthy uh, portion of the prophet. Um, so the it, there's a part, so he's reading chapter 53, which we'll look at, Isaiah chapter 53. In chapter 56, verses uh, 3 through 8, it talks about, well, it says, Do not let the son of the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, The Lord has utterly separated me from his people. Nor let the eunuch say, Here I am, a dead tree, for thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant. Even to them I will give, uh, I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than that of, the, of sons and daughters. I'll give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. So this is a faithful passage to specifically eunuchs. So to work his way to there, 
you know, he's going a few chapters back again. There weren't any chapter divisions at that time. So, but, but he's reading chapter 53, but in 56, that's what, that's what it says here. Okay. 29. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. Typically to overtake a chariot is really a violent uprising. It's, it's, it's to conquer. And that's still what he's doing. He's, He's, the angel is telling him to go overtake the uh, chariot to conquer this man in my name. Not, not through violence, through peace, through the preaching of, and the proclamation of his word. But he's, he tells him and he uses the word to overtake, just like men would overtake in battles. This is a peaceful battle. This is a battle. We are in a battle. But this is a gracious battle. This is a gracious strike or blow, if you want to put it that way. Um, so... Yeah, we'll we'll skip that. Um, yeah, there are a lot of a lot of um, verses speaking of overtake, um, and I have them here if you want to uh, consider those. So thirty and thirty one. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, "Do you understand what you were reading?" And he said, "How can I unless someone guides me?" And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. So in ancient times, people would typically read aloud, which is how Philip uh, hears him uh, preaching, the, uh, reading Isaiah. Um, so this shows the, pro- the necessity of proper exegesis, of proper ex- exposition, which, okay, the eunuch knows of his own limitations, right? Now, look, the church is filled with a holy variety of ministries, okay? Now, all of them need proper exegesis. All of them need faithful preaching from God's word. Now, the, the preachers, the true preacher, the, the men uh, God calls to preach, give, he gives a fire, a flame, and understanding. When I can't, okay, look, let me, let me just talk about my own experience, and this doesn't puff up the preacher. This is God's faithfulness. The good preacher, the, good, the faithful preacher, attests to, not to his faithfulness, but to God's. The faithful preacher is only faithful because God is faithful. Okay, so the great preacher is only great because God is great. Doesn't make the preacher great. Anyway, so when I first came to faith, you know, and 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 I, and I find all this stuff interesting. I read all these books. I used to implore her, you know, hey, read this stuff. But I've noticed that the reason he he's done that in me is because you know he's apparently called me to preach. But we're all called to preach. Right. We're all called to be ministers to him. Now, that doesn't mean you're, you're going to have the ability to sit and read a verse and see all this different thing, these different things and then you know, see different areas of the, uh, of the Bible where these things are applied and all that kind of stuff. But it does mean you need that in order to, again, uh, receive more of the notitia, more of the data to proclaim to people, to be a faithful witness to Christ. But the preacher, he's not a teacher. In fact, either, either, like I, I, I try to teach you, but I'm sure you notice sometimes, you know, that gets escalated and it's, you know, a preacher can't help but preach when he teaches and, and like, so it gets a little preach, but I, I don't try to do that, but it's not the same as teaching. Okay. Uh, preaching, preaching involves giving information, but it's really, it, it's really meant, it's really geared to not just the mind, right? Like if we were sitting right now and talking about, I don't know, microbiology or physics, you know, that's just the mind. Now, the, the, the preacher is going after your heart for God. Okay, he's trying to 
That's why I tell you, the true preacher doesn't pray, God, you know, make this whole thing wonderful, make this whole thing, you know, and just fill us with all this light and all this kind of thing. The true preacher asks and prays God to break hearts, to shatter, so that he can build them back up again. And that's what the preacher is after. He's after your heart. He should be. He should be. Which goes into the mind. You can't get to the heart except through the mind. But remember, the heart fills the minds with many things. So he's very faithful to his Christ. To, to seek, though, for Christ, to, to preach Christ so that you are filled with the same. Does that make sense? His message is a person. It's not information. It's not merely information. Christ is the only founder in all the religions whose message is himself. Talk about um, even Judaism. You know, Moses wasn't, Moses is not the, the, the notician. Uh, talk about uh, Islam. Muhammad isn't the notician. Talk about Buddhism. Buddha isn't the notician. It's really nirvana, nothing. Uh, um, Hinduism, Vishnu, uh, uh, Vesna, none of them are the, the message. Any other belief. Christ is the only one whose message is him. Obviously, through him, to God, but it is him. And that's what the preacher preaches. Him. That's who. So the preacher doesn't preach a what. The preacher preaches a who. And it's him. And that's what we all are called to do. I'm called to, you know, exhort the text more than, you know, you, you see typically when you, when you read through. I'm, and I know this happens. And I know, you know, you even mentioned it with Stephen specifically. And that's, that's I, I think that's natural. That's why you need, just like this eunuch, need somebody to come and, 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 and come alongside you to uh, exposit this and to uh, manifest that uh, more. Okay? Is that Okay. 32 and 33. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humilia humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. I really, really encourage y'all to read this entire chapter. I really had planned on it, but, you know, we're limited in time. And so I really do encourage you to read this entire chapter. Obviously, this is referring to Christ just before his crucifixion. Uh, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Remember, we see Christ um, being you know, judged and everything. He doesn't say anything. All of them are accusing him. And they're like, you say nothing in your defense and all that. He's just there silent. Uh, in his humiliation, his justice is taken away. For who And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth that goes into his crucifixion. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or some other man? So the prophets of old would actually prophesy in a variety of ways, but sometimes they would actually talk about their own circumstances. So that's kind of, so there, that's what's called kind of a partial fulfillment, but the ultimate fulfillment comes in Christ. So uh, even the verse that we all know about um, um, behold, um, what is it? behold, the virgin shall, shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Many people believe that uh, Isaiah is either referring to his wife or uh, a, a, um, a fiance, basically. And we can talk about that some other time, God willing. But so it could have been fulfilled partly in that time because virgin in the Hebrew really means young woman. But in Hebrew categories, a young woman was a virgin. 
<laughs> you were a virgin until you got married. Uh, so it, it, it's interchangeable. But in, in biblical studies, this, there's a big hang-up about this. And again, so God willing, we'll uh, consider that some other time. But in, uh, in nine, so in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the gover- government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government, government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with uh, ju- judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of, uh, of hosts will perform this. And I really encourage you to read all of uh, chapter 11. So the, seven, four, so the verse seven, the 14th verse in the 7th chapter about behold the virgin shall conceive uh, and bear is likely typological it's, it's a partial fulfillment and then reaches its ultimate ful- fulfillment in Christ this is obviously about Christ this this portion here chapter 11 it's throughout Isaiah I mean read all of chapter 53 like I said 54 48 49 I mean he's just all throughout uh, uh, Isaiah that's why he's referred to so often in the book of Acts uh, and Jesus himself 35 then op- uh, then Philip began uh, f- I'm sorry then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture preached Jesus to them so that that Philip began at this scripture scripture implies that he went to further scriptures mm-hmm. and and that's that's necessary throughout his sermon he preaches Jesus which makes this the exclusively proper sermon 36 now as they went down the road they came to some water and the eunuch said see here is water what hinders me from being baptized this foreshadows the occasion we'll see in uh, chapter 10 uh, verse 47 then peter answered can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the holy spirit just as we have so actually this account in chapter 10 is a reversal of sorts is the one we just saw remember the, the people were baptized just in jesus name but hadn't received the holy spirit and in chapter 10 we see the reversal they, they had they had received the Spirit, but they had not yet been baptized. And so Peter says, you know, um, can anyone forbid water? That forbid is the same word that uh, uh, the, the eunuch is saying. What hinders me from being baptized? Okay, now, 37. Um, then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Okay, that, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God must have been, must have been in Philip's sermon must have been in Philip's witness uh, to him, as all sermons must. <laughs> um, so again, Philip merely preaches what the scriptures say, and they say that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The preach- yeah. uh, so Philip might have embraced Simon more readily than uh, uh, he probably should have, and that's not a mistake he's going to make again. So he doesn't just assume this man is a believer. You know, the eunuch is asking, you know, here's some water. What, what, what hinders me from bapt- being baptized? Well, with Simon, he, he went ahead and just baptized him. He's like, well, yeah, I mean, he believes. So, so he's, he's going to make sure. He says, hey, I, I mean, I, we can do that. But only if you believe with all your heart. If this is a true possession of faith, not just a profession. If you really believe in your soul. Okay. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Again, that must have been um, what he was preaching. Um. 38. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized them. So here we see the eunuch commanded the chariot to stand still. So that, that, that means that when he was reading Isaiah, and even the testimony of Simon, everybody else heard too. In the providence of God, 
this preaching is not just to the eunuch, it's to all the other men who are with him. Okay, now we're, we're going to, okay. Um, okay, 39. Now when they, uh, now when they came, up, came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord cut Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. This eunuch would ret will return to Ethiopia a faithful servant and a faithful witness for God. Now he's not given this, these powers. He's not given the signs and wonders. But what he has is the name of Jesus. And he's a very prominent figure in Ethiopia. Okay, and so that that so immediately when Christ when God uh, uh, scatters his church into Samaria, immediately after he's going to the ends of the earth, he's going to Ethiopia, far away. Um, all right. Um, again, though, uh, that he was that had charge over all the queen's treasury um, means that he was a rich man. Okay, but Philip was found at. Oh, well, did I skip some? Okay, well, I do want to talk about, um, oh, we do here. Okay, 40. But Philip was uh, found at Azotus. Uh, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Okay, I'm just going to kind of read through here because then we jump to the conclusion. Elijah seemed, uh, seemed to have been carried away by the Spirit of the Lord oftentimes, the prophet Elijah, uh, because in 2 Kings 18.12, he comes to a prophet named Obadiah. And, and uh, uh, it says, and it shall come to pass. So uh, he comes to Obadiah and he's telling him, you know, go tell Ahab I'm here. Ahab was a wicked king and, and hated Elijah, wanted to kill him. <laughs> he hated him. Uh, Ahab is actually the, uh, the, the evil captain in, uh, in Moby Dick. His name is Ahab. Anyway, by the way, the white whale is a depiction of God. Read Moby Dick. It's actually really cool. Anyway, um, uh, so so he's telling him, go tell go tell King, you know, well, go tell Ahab that you know I'm here. And Obadiah is scared. He's like, so he says, uh, it shall come to pass as soon as I am gone from you that the spirit of the Lord will carry you to a place I do not know. So when I go and tell Ahab that, and he cannot find you, he will kill me. But I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. You know, he's like, okay, I mean, you know, is this a trick? <laughs> you know, you, you're going to send me to go tell Ahab that you're here, and then you're just going to whisk away somewhere, and then, you know, I'm dead then. So Elijah does end up being carried away um, by chariots of fire and horses of fire into heaven uh, just before he transfers his uh, uh, prophetic ministry to Elisha, who was a very faithful servant to him, unlike Gehazi, who was not. Um, and it appears that God did the same for Philip. So Azotus was the Ashdod in, in the Old Testament. It's the Hebrew name, uh, Ashdod is. Uh, it was another major Philistine city which proved to be a formidable thorn in uh, Israel's side for a variety of reasons. It was about 20 miles north of Gaza and 60 miles uh, south of Caesarea where he eventually settled, or Philip eventually settled. Um, and again, he, we see him in uh, chapter 21. And th this preaching, though, uh, all the way back up to Caesarea, we'll see sets the scene, set, kind of paves the way for Paul in the next chapter. He revisits these cities that uh, Philip is preaching. Uh, Paul joins, yeah, we already talked about that. Okay, here's the conclusion. We are too often concerned with what happens to us. We should be concerned with what happens from us. Christ is not suggested to witness to him. He has not left it as an option. It is a sure and authoritative order coming from the Lord of Lords and King, is, King of Kings. Our blessed Savior has saved us to this blessed labor. However, it is a toil, but not a burden. It is an industry of divine production, and one from which we must never break. 
Our rest is found in God, and he gives us strength and intrepidity. This mandate given by our Lord uh, has not yet been fulfilled. Reaching the ends of the earth has not yet been fulfilled. It is the great work of many men or women to, of God to seek to at last procure the earth in his name. Ours is a call to shake the world, to grasp the farthest, farthest ends of the world of the earth, and with a mighty blow of God's holy word, ignite a great inferno of witness and a blaze of preaching and baptism in a great and refining hearth of repentance and faith. We are to be the light of the world. The sun must be lost in our radiance. That great orb of fire hangs in a faraway heaven. We must encompass the globe with the light of our Christ and never leave him in the shadows, as it were. Christ does not exist there. The devil does. Remember, he exists in the shadows. And if we leave the service of our master, be sure we are left in the service of his enemy. God has built his church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against her. Christ says that. If you are not at the gates of hell to defend her, you are outside seeking her conquest. Neither indifference nor apathy, excuses or silence are anything but a quiet weapon of the devil. Christ has called us to call others. If, we're, if we forsake this, we forsake him. Don't shrink from weak nerves or impetuous, unfounded anxiety. We must preach into our final uh, slumber, and whether it, it becomes the means of our final breath, what a glorious way to breathe and the only way to live. The church is silent because she seeks not to offend. While we sweat not to demean uh, men and women, the cross indeed is offensive. There was a time R.C. Sproul was uh, preaching about the exclusivity, about the cro cross of Christ and his atonement, his atoning death. Exclusive and universal. Because again, it's exclusive in that he's the only way, but it's universal in that it applies to all men and women. Uh, but someone screams, that's primitive and obscene. And he's kind of taken back a little bit. And, and he tells the guy, you know, it's a bit bombastic and a little out of, you know, out of nowhere. But um, I actually like the words you use. It is primitive. The cross is primitive. The, the necessity of sacrifice, the necessity for an atonement, the truth. Remember, all of God's general revelation sinks down to man. And, and so that propensity for the need of a sacrifice has been throughout history. Men and women have, have been doing that in a variety of ways, totally apart from him. But the need for a sacrifice, the need for an atonement, has been in the heart of man since the beginning. It's obscene. The cross is obscene. His humiliation was a dark, terrible, terrible occasion. It is obscene. And remember, that linen cloth is only there for our sensibilities. It is obscene. And it's his obscenity, it's that obscene humiliation that he has taken from us. That exclusive work that he did is exclusively for his people. Yeah, it is primitive. Yeah, it is obscene. It's also for us, and only for us. Okay? Right. By the way, though, remember, this preaching, this, this witnessing is not just to preachers, okay? It, it, all preachers need a preacher as well. We, we can't not be isolated on an island. I, I, I depend on, you know, I recognize my own limitations. I depend heavily on, on great thinkers who've come before, great thinkers we have now. Uh, you know, I don't isolate, you know, all, all of this isn't just from my silly little mind. I, I stand on the shoulders of great men who have come, gone, come before. Oh, what holy water, the fount of perpetual grace.
poured out by our Father to be risen to his face, to descend the fearful, to descend the fearful deep, to submerge in breathless streams, is to waken from our sleep and emerge as pure and clean. To dive and die with Christ is to climb him up to glory, redeemed from Satan's heist to God's gracious inventory. I can't believe I left that. Uh, from death we come to life. What a blessing of such wonder. God has come from heaven's heights to lift me uh, to be under. Christ my King, my blessed hope, to fall before thy throne. Gathered in thy eternal scope, there is, there is to forever be my home. All right, let's pray. <laughs> Gracious Father, thank you for your truth. We praise you for your amazing grace. And Father, as you call us to witness to your Son, I pray that you give us boldness, you give us strength, and you give us power that can only be found in you. I ask for this as you have promised it. So we ask it in faith of your faithfulness in and through your Son. Amen. Thank you for listening to CFIR Ministries Podcast with Pastor James Myers. We hope you enjoy this message. Please subscribe and follow us. Tune in as we continue in the Book of Acts.